Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. Amen. And I do invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 20. We continue in the Gospel of Luke. While you're turning there, uh, if you missed our Second, first Wednesday night worship, you missed a blessing. I want to urge you to, uh, to make uh, not only the first Wednesday, but each Wednesday night a part of your, uh, your weekly um, pattern. And uh, on our, in our adult uh, study and prayer, prayer meeting time, we're studying in the life of David and invite you to come at six o'clock on Wednesday night to be a part of our time together, our gathering uh, in the midweek. Your Bible's open there to Luke chapter 20. Uh, We're going to begin reading this morning with verse 41. But first of all, uh, I want to ask you if these words sound familiar. Close your books, clear off your desk, except for your pen, get ready for your test. Have you ever heard those words before? One of the things some of us probably don't miss about being out of school are tests, right? Exams. Uh, you know, we wonder, have we studied enough? Have we uh, studied the right things? Uh, are we going to make the grade that we, uh, that we need to keep our grade up? Uh, and so we don't miss those. But, you know, we, we aren't out of school very long until we realize that tests and exams are, are part of life. Um, and uh, they, ha- they come in various forms, of course, you know, we know right now many of our friends, brothers and sisters in Christ are being tested, aren't they? Uh, as they're going through these storms and storms of life and, and literal storms certainly test us. Uh, God allows test and brings test into our life for the purpose of, uh, of strengthening us and growing us. And certainly that is true. The Word of God also teaches us that... Uh, uh, that we are to examine our own lives um, and that we're to ask God to examine our hearts and lives. Uh, and, and, and the Word of God teaches us that, that we are to do that. And the passage we're going to look at today uh, is, a, uh, or actually three incidents that take place we're going to see in this, in this passage. And as I was praying through this text, uh, uh, thinking about how much to include, I included actually three parts here today, all of which I think come under this, uh, can come under this label of, of, of examination. And that's what we're going to do as we uh, look in this text today. Luke chapter 20, we're going to begin reading with verse 41, and we're going to read through chapter 21, verse 4. So if you're able, I want to invite you to stand uh, with me as we read this passage together. I'll be reading from the New King James translation, uh, Luke chapter 20, beginning with verse 41. And he said to them, how can they say that the Christ is the son of David. Now David himself said in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? Then in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feast, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. And he looked up and saw the rich 
putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. And from this passage, I'll bring a message entitled, It's Exam Time. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you for the privilege we've had to worship you in song, to bring to you the sacrifices of our praise, of our joy, of our love, and Lord, now our, our very lives. And we pray this morning we'll continue in that spirit of worship as we've opened and read the word together. And Lord, we pray that you will speak to us through this passage of scripture, that we would allow you by the work of your spirit to speak to us. Lord, as your children, that we would, uh, Lord, uh, allow you to examine our lives today by the work of your spirit to reveal any sin in our lives or any area of our lives, uh, Lord, uh, which we are lacking or uh, where the sin of hypocrisy may be present in our lives or in any spirit that would not bring glory and honor to Christ. Lord, also examine the hearts today of those who are without Christ, some who may wrongly believe that they are believers but have never truly repented of sin and placed their faith in Christ. Lord, would you do in them what no one else can do for them? Lord, would you awaken them to their need for a relationship with Christ? Lord, even as Brian prayed this morning, how, how true, Lord, that, that we, as Scripture tells us, would run to you for refuge. Lord, because you alone are our refuge and strength. So be glorified in our time here together, and we exalt you, we love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, and for his sake, amen. You may be seated. For several passages and messages, uh, we have really been, the setting has been on Wednesday prior to the Friday in which the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, was, was crucified and teaching and responding to questions, most of which were questions for uh, really for the purpose of trying to find fault in the Lord Jesus and some way in which they could accuse him to the authorities, the Roman authorities specifically. And we've read that finally they, the, those asking Jesus questions stopped asking questions. They, in a sense, they were, were out of questions as Jesus answered uh, so profoundly and so wisely. Uh, so now Jesus asked them a question. And in asking them this question, he shows them really their lack of understanding of the, the Word of God, the Scriptures that they claimed to believe and claimed to be their own. And, uh, and again, in, in this question, and, in, and again, in this warning that we've read, in, in this passage we've read, as well as in the example from this widow, again, all of them a call for personal examination. And again, Jesus wasn't teaching just to be teaching. He, he had a purpose in what he was doing. And even in these final hours, if you will, prior to his death, he was, he was again speaking to the hearts of people in order to proclaim the gospel, to cause them to see their need for, for himself. Even these who were religious and yet were, were apart from him and lost. So I want you to look with me at these, uh, these, uh, pa this passage we've looked at today in three areas of our lives which need examination. First of all, I want to call us to see we need to examine our faith. So examine your faith that we see in verses 41 to 40, 
4. Now, Matthew also records this, uh, this incident and this question. And according to Matthew's gospel, Jesus preceded this question with another question. Let me, let's read that together in Matthew 22. It should be on your screen. Verse 41, he said, Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. And then he moved on to, to ask the question that we have in our text here. Again, well, then how can they say that the Christ is the son um, of David? So again, um, Jesus asked um, this question. They believe correctly that Jesus was the son of David. You remember a few weeks ago, the message we preached when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was coming and he cried out to him, Jesus, son of David. So they understood and he was in doing so. He was identifying Jesus as, uh, as the Messiah, the Christ. And you remember Messiah, of course, is the, uh, from the Hebrew uh, word uh, and, and uh, meaning anointed one and Christ from the Greek word. So Christ and Messiah are interchangeable. Uh, so again, they believe correctly that the Messiah would be the descendant of David. And again, in Scripture, in this, throughout Scripture, the son of doesn't necessarily mean the immediate son of. It means a descendant of. And Jesus was. Uh, and they didn't argue with the fact that Jesus was himself a descendant of, of David. Uh, but, but again, they, they wrongly thought about the Messiah, that he was just a man, that he was to be just a great man, a great political leader, as we've seen over and over again. They wrongly had thought for so long that he would just be a political leader who would overthrow, in this case, the Roman government and would establish a, a government uh, and bring about an age of peace and prosperity. And in verse 42, Jesus referred them to Psalm 110. And by the way, Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Uh, they also understood this to be a messianic psalm. In other words, a psalm that was, uh, was written about the Messiah. And they understood this, that that's what it was talking about. So, so Jesus uh, quoted it to them. And uh, this psalm written by David, of course, as many of the psalms are. And again, that is undisputed as well. Uh, and it literally says, and I'm, I'll just include the word here, but the Lord, and that word is the translation of Yahweh, the Lord Yahweh said to my Lord, that word is Adonai, so Yahweh said to Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So this is uh, God the Father, we, we know, speaking to God the Son, and, uh, and, and he, is, uh, he is saying, sit here at my right hand. He is, in doing so, he is, uh, he is acknowledging, the Father is acknowledging the authority, if you will, of the Son. And he is promising him uh, victory over his enemies. And so again, he's saying, uh, he's asking the question, Jesus said, David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? How is it that David, uh, you know, here is, in here is, is referring to him as his Lord? So, um, so Jesus uh, wanted them to see that the Messiah, the Christ, uh, was, uh, would not only be David's son, but would also be David's Lord, that he would be both Lord and God. So I want you to, this morning with me, as we examine today our lives, to answer several questions uh, as we think about this text together. First of all, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do you believe that Jesus is 
the Messiah, that he is the promised one in the Old Testament. We've already seen the ways in which Jesus uh, demonstrated from Scripture, and we will continue to see that, that he is the, the promised Messiah, that he's the one prophesied of old and throughout the, the Old Testament, which, the, which Jesus said testify of him. And again, after his resurrection, the Bible tells us on that Emmaus road, he went through the, 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 uh, all the law as well as the prophets and proclaimed uh, all of those scriptures and how in which they, they pointed and spoke of him. John writes in, uh, in, in 1 John 2, verse 22, who is a liar but, the, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. So he is saying here that if you deny that Jesus is the Christ, you also deny the Father. So anyone who, who, who claims to uh, you know, believe in the Father but denies Jesus as the Christ, he says, is the Antichrist. He, he is not, uh, it's impossible to be a believer and deny that Jesus is the promised Messiah. That is absolutely essential. Do you believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah, that he is who he says he is, that he's who Scripture says that he is? Examine your heart today in regard to your belief about who Jesus is. Secondly, do you believe that Jesus is fully human? That Jesus is fully human. Uh, Jesus, as we said, the, the people thought the Messiah would be, would be uh, a man, um, and Jesus uh, is a man, but, but Jesus is not merely a man. He, is, he was fully human. But we're going to see in a moment, he was also God. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, John 1, and, uh, and, and the Word was, uh, was with God, and the Word was, was God. And verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So God became man. And again, that's because we know Scripture teaches the miraculous conception by the Holy Spirit in the womb of that young virgin named Mary. Uh, he was perfect, and he was sinless human. Hebrews 2.17 says... Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might be become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus, from the moment of his conception, was fully human. He again got hungry, he was thirsty, he was tired, he experienced the full range of emotions including joy and grief and anger and love and compassion and amazement. And scripture says also in Hebrews that he was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. Jesus was fully human. Do you believe that? That's important for us to know that. That's an important doctrine for us to understand. But not only was he fully human, then he asked the third question, do you believe that Jesus is also fully God? Remember now, Jesus was not part God and part man. He was all God and all man. Again, I agree that that's the greatest miracle that ever occurred, the, the incarnation. Paul writes in Philippians 2, 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Uh, and, and so this verse says to us, in this word for form, that he was God by his very nature. And Jesus not only demonstrated his full humanity throughout his earthly existence and earthly life, but he also he, he demonstrated uh, his deity, that he was God. Many ways, 
Uh, he did that through the miracles that he performed. Again, as we look through the Gospel of John, that's the purpose of the miracles given to us in John. They demonstrate, again, his, his deity. Um, he, he controlled nature. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He walked on water. He raised the dead. Uh, he demonstrated his deity by uh, claiming the authority to forgive sin. Uh, he again demonstrated his deity in the authority with which he taught and preached the word of God. Uh, one of the ways Jesus demonstrated his deity was by receiving worship from people. Again, something that was forbidden and which other uh, humans throughout scripture would refuse worship from people. But Jesus received that worship and again demonstrating by that that he was God. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be the great I am. Before Ab he said before Abraham was, I am. Am not I was, but I am claiming to be the great I am uh, that, that in which God identified Himself in the in Exodus at the burning bush, uh, and and in other ways He said I am. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the I'm the bread of life. Jesus claimed to be the I am. Others uh, professed His His deity. Thomas, even after the resurrection, cried out to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus didn't correct him uh, in that. He, he received that, those truths. Uh, Peter uh, called him our great uh, God and Savior. Uh, both the Gospel of John as well as the book of Colossians uh, indicate that Jesus is the creator of the universe. The Bible says God created the heavens and the earth. Absolutely, Jesus is God. And, and Scripture is very clear uh, that he is God. So I ask you today, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is fully God? That's essential in understanding who he is and, and essential uh, to our salvation to understand his identity as being fully God. And then I ask a, another question today as we examine today uh, our own uh, lives and, and again our faith is, do, is Jesus your Lord? Has there been a time in your life that you uh, recognize your accountability to him, that you are a creation of God and therefore you are accountable to God and right now and one day we'll stand before him uh, in, in accountability to him. Have you acknowledged that you are a sinner and that you are sep uh, separated before, uh, separated from him, from him, and and uh, and and deserve hell for your sin, and realize and, and come to acknowledge by faith that Jesus is the uh, one who God gave, the one who is fully God and fully human, and He paid your debt in full. He shed His precious, sinless blood on Calvary's cross uh, in order that sin might be forgiven. Have you acknowledged that He is the only way? To a relationship with God? And have you therefore repented, turned from your sin, placed your faith and trust in Christ, surrendering your life to Jesus as your Lord? Has that happened in your life? Romans 10, 9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Of course, in that great Matthew 16 passage, the first passage uh, given to us in Scripture uh, concerning the church, the Lord Jesus asked his disciples first, who do men say that I am? And if they gave them several uh, answers, and then he said, but whom do you say? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered correctly, you are the Christ, the Son of the living 
God. And Jesus said, blessed are you. In essence, congratulations, Peter. Because he said, flesh and blood, human beings have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, again, showing to us that is a work of the Spirit of God. Even though we must proclaim the gospel, it is the Spirit of God that we pray works in the hearts of people to reveal who Christ is and to realize their need for the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why, again, it is such a work of God that we need to pray for in the hearts and lives of people. I want to challenge you today, if you have not come to that place in your life, if you have not repented of your sin, I want to challenge you today. I want to urge you today. I want to plead with you today to read the Word of God. Read the Gospels. And again, as you read the Gospels, will you ask the question, who is this man named Jesus? Who is this one whom this pastor is called, uh, who is said today and declared from Scripture to be the one who is both God and also man. Who is he? And what are his claims? And you will see as you read the Gospels, the claims that the Lord Jesus made about himself. Are you listening to me this morning? As many have said, I think C.S. Lewis was one who said this and Josh McDowell. You see, Jesus is either, he is either a liar because he claimed to be God. He claimed to be Lord. He can't claim to be and receive the, 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 the acknowledgement that he was the savior of the world. He is either a liar for making those statements, or he is a lunatic. Anyone who would believe those things about himself and make those claims about himself, or he is, in fact, Lord and God. Of course, Josh McDowell, as many others who set out to uh, try to disprove his, uh, the, his claims, and especially the claim, uh, the greatest claim that, that is now made concerning him, that he, not, that he died, he said he would die and be, and, and for our, our sin, but he would be raised again the third day. He set out to try to disprove that, but in the process came to see its reality and its truth and repented of his sin and placed his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And dear friend, we believe and, and have, have come fully to believe that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord and God. And dear friend, I want to say to you, believing that, he should be your Lord. Because he is Lord, he should be your Lord. And we want to challenge you today that you would recognize that today and that you would repent of your sin and place your faith in Christ. Again, because the Bible says that one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes, even those who are unbelievers, even those who say he does not exist for one day, but for those who have denied him and rejected him here, it will be too late. They will acknowledge that, but they'll acknowledge him, acknowledge him as judge, not as their Lord and Savior. But dear friend, our prayer for you today is that you would acknowledge him, that you would recognize your need for him if you're here without Christ, and that you would call on him in repentance and faith and know him now and enjoy him now as your Lord and your Savior. So examine today your faith. What you believe and know about Jesus is absolutely and eternally essential. Second, examine your life. Examine your life. Jesus then, as we see, um, issued, as he saw there in the temple setting, those uh, people, as we've seen, who often ask him questions, who often challenged him, denied him, uh, and those were the scribes, the teachers of the Old Testament law. And uh, uh, we know that uh, Matthew includes the Pharisees in his, uh, in his, in his uh, 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 
uh, I'm sorry, in, Ma- in, in, in Matthew's uh, citing of this incident, he, he, uh, he mentioned the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, of course, many of them, uh, not all the Pharisees were scribes, but most scribes were Pharisees. And uh, they were, these people were very respected by the people. Uh, they, again, were the teachers of the Old Testament law. They were the ones who, who taught the law. And many people thought, were, admired them. And even as we're going to read about them now, there were th- many who would see them and would be impressed by them. But again, uh, sadly, most of them were false teachers, and, 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 and they were hypocrites. And Jesus often referred to them in that way, because again, they were hypocrites. What, what is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is a play actor, and that's exactly what they were doing. They were just putting on an act. Uh, and, and so Jesus, again, warned his disciples as well as the people today in the, in the sound of his voice uh, as he warns them about these people. So he's challenging them using their example, if you will, uh, of, of examining their own lives. So let me ask you some questions using the example of these scribes. First of all, do you love the approval of people? Do you love the approval of people? Another word for that from the Old Testament is the fear of man, the uh, living for the, uh, the respect and the honor and the admiration of people. But again, in the, uh, Jesus addresses them here in verse uh, 46 when he says, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at Feast. Notice the second part of uh, verse 47 says, and for a pretense make long prayers. Uh, these, these, these scribes, they wore uh, long, expensive robes, uh, and, uh, and they had extra long tassels. Now, you know, the Jews would wear, and rabbis would wear tassels, and Old Testament even said to do that. It was a reminder to them of the law. But these guys, they didn't just stop with tassels. They had extra long tassels. And the idea was, wow. Man, they are so impressive. Look at that guy. Look at how spiritual he is. Look at how religious he is. And wow, he is so devoted. And they did all that they did, Scripture says, for this purpose. They, they, loved, they loved these uh, titles, these special titles. They loved being called rabbi. They loved being called teacher. Uh, they loved being called father. They liked all these special titles uh, that, that, call, that caused people to you know, look up to them and admire them. You know, they loved uh, the, the special chief seats in the synagogues. You know, they had, uh, in the synagogues, they had a uh, raised platform, and, uh, and, and they, they did that, and they loved those seats so that they could be seen by everybody. And so they really, they really loved that place and those places of authority and special attention, places of honor at banquets. Uh, they, you know, we wonder where, where do those, uh, those head tables come from? Well, they had them back in this day too. Uh, it says that uh, they love the approval of people. It says for pretense, they made long prayers. Now, again, that's not saying that all long prayers are, uh, are wrong. Of course not. But they prayed for the purpose, not of communing with the father, they prayed in order to be heard by people and so that people would say, wow, how impressive. And so they loved this. They loved the approval of people. Jesus addressed them back in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, they have received 
their reward. Jesus said that's the only reward they're going to get. They're, you've heard people make statements like, I, sometimes I feel like my prayers don't get any higher than the ceiling. Well, theirs didn't. Uh, they just got, just, they were for the purpose of impressing people, and, and, and they got their reward. That was it. That, that's the only answer they got was they got the approval of people. People were impressed, and that's all that ever happened. So let me ask you this morning, how do you, uh, do you, do you love the approval of people? Do you do what you do because you are, you, you enjoy getting the, um, the pat on the back, the approval of people, and, and, and you really serve that? You say, well, I'm just not real sure. I'm sure sometimes maybe I struggle with that. Well, here's a good way to kind of help you evaluate. What happens when you don't get the approval you thought you deserved? What happens when someone, when you do something and no one says, boy, Nobody says, you did a good job. What happens? Do you get your feelings hurt? Do you say, well, I'm not appreciated. I'm not going to do that anymore. Well, dear friend, that's a pretty good evaluation that what you're doing is you're doing that for the purpose of the praise of men. Now, let me quickly turn around and say, does that mean we shouldn't show appreciation? No, we should show appreciation. Here's a good opportunity for to do that. Let me, let me just right now say a special thanks to all of our men and ladies who came out and helped uh, in, the, in the backyard, the Cornelia backyard. Thank you for all those who served and, and helped to pick up sticks and help to use their equipment and work so hard and diligently. We had a wonderful time uh, of fellowship together, and I think there's more to do, but, but I want to say thank you. So we do appreciate you, and we should show gratitude and appreciation for people, but we don't do it for that purpose, amen? As believers, we do what we do to the glory of God. Do you love the approval of people? Secondly, do you love money and use people? That's what these fellows did. The Bible says here, and, and he gives a specific, Jesus gives a specific example here. In uh, verse 47, he says, who devour widows' houses. What does he mean by that? Well, the word does mean consume, and, and, but it's just a, it's a picture here of what they were doing to the most, one of the most defenseless groups of people in their society. Remember in this day in, with, with widows? Widows, uh, didn't, they didn't have social security in their day. They, they, didn't, uh, they were poor, extremely poor, many of them. And, and uh, so, uh, uh, so they, were sub, they were subject to others taking care of them, and spe especially those that the Bible would call widows indeed, which didn't have family to take care of them. Now, some of them may have had some money, and so who did they look to? They looked to the, to the spiritual leadership. They looked to the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders to step in, just like today in the New Testament. The scripture tells us uh, as the church that we are to care for and minister to, to, to widows. And, and, and we want to do that, and we seek to do that, uh, and to those who are in need. And so what do these guys do? They took advantage of these uh, widows, and it says they devoured their houses. They consumed their little bit of wealth. Some may have had more wealth, and they, they uh, were in the process of supposedly trying to help them manage their estates. They did it for monetary gain. They, they took advantage of them. And, and they cheated them out of their property or their estate. Peter warns in 2 uh, Peter chapter 2 verse 3 and in their greed they will exploit you with false words their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not ex uh, is not asleep so they exploited these widows they were loving money and they were using people do people still do that today 
Absolutely. Are there people that are preying on people uh, and who are using, who are uh, loving money and using people? Certainly. And again, could we be guilty of that? Could you be guilty of that? You may say, well, you know, not me. I wouldn't take money that wasn't mine. Well, think about other ways that it could be applied in your life. Again, could you, could you be a, a lover of money, somebody who, who just loves money and who loves what money can buy? Or maybe you, you, instead of loving to buy with it, you love to hoard it. You just like to collect it up, and you're stingy, and you're greedy. Or maybe you, you're neither one. Maybe you don't have it, but you sure wish you did, and you think about that, and you dream about that. Boy, if I could just, boy, if I could re- win that Reader's Digest sweepstakes, man. You know, if I could come to my door and tell me you've won. Boy, that'd be the best news I could ever hear. And maybe you think about that and imagine and dream what that would be like and think if people, you know, that that's the answer to the world's problems and to your own problems. So maybe that aspect of, uh, of this, it was true. And there's a love of money, perhaps, in your life. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. So I challenge you to examine your heart about this. Even, in, even as believers, we can be, uh, be guilty of allowing that to be true of our lives. Or maybe you do use people. Maybe, again, you use people. Maybe you're not using people for an evil thing, but maybe you're using people uh, to meet a need in your life that only God can meet. And maybe you're depending on people rather than depending on God. And I want to challenge you in that regard to think about that in, in this area of your life as you examine your life today. Thirdly, Do you know where you will spend eternity? Look what Jesus said about these people there in verse 47. He said, these will receive greater condemnation. These will receive greater condemnation. Do you know what that says to us, folks? That says to us that there is and there are degrees of punishment in hell. Sometimes we'll have people that will say, well, you know, pastor, what about... What about those people over there who've never heard the gospel? Will they go to hell if they never hear the gospel and they never have an opportunity? Well, folks, again, that's our responsibility to take the gospel. That is why we so uh, aggressively, and try to, not as aggressively as we ought to, but we recognize our responsibility to take the gospel. But, but, but yes, those who die without Christ, the Bible says Jesus is the only way. But, we're, but who receives the greater condemnation? Folks like these... Again, many of these, for one thing, these were people who, who were, were exploiting people. And also, they were, the, they were people who studied the Word of God day in and day out. They studied these scriptures that pointed to Jesus. They studied these scriptures who pointed to who Jesus was. And now he was there, and they saw him, and they heard him, and they saw his miracles, and they heard the Word of God, and he spoke with authority. And some of them would even say, you got him, Jesus, you got those Sadducees, but yet they still rejected him. Jesus said, there's greater condemnation for them. Would you come in close just a moment? Would you listen to me just a moment? There are people in the sound of my voice today who've heard the gospel week after week. You've heard the gospel. You've heard who Jesus is. You've heard what Jesus has done. You've been, you've been told that, that the way we come to Christ, again, is by the work of His Spirit, recognizing our need for Christ, seeing what He's done for us, what He's accomplished in His death, His burial, His resurrection, and that only through Christ can you be saved and know eternal life. And yet some have heard that week after week, and you've hardened your heart, and you've said no. 
Some today may be church members who, who, who are clinging to a past experience. But maybe you're here and you know you've never truly repented of sin and placed your faith in Christ. Dear friend, when there are those who have not heard the gospel and yet you've heard the gospel and yet you've rejected Christ, I believe this passage applies to you. Greater condemnation to those who know and yet continue to reject Christ and say no, 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 and harden your heart. I believe the Bible clearly speaks that the greater condemnation is those who would know and yet reject. And our prayer for you, dear friend, is that you would not continue in your unbelief, that you would not continue to harden your heart. Because again, the reality of hell is so clearly taught in the word of God. These hypocrites that Jesus is describing were instrumental in bringing condemnation to the Lord Jesus. And God was sovereign in that, of course. And yet, they too received great condemnation. You see, in doing so, they, they thought, now we're rid of Jesus. Now, now we're rid of him. But you know what they weren't thinking about? They weren't thinking about eternity. Because that same Jesus is the Jesus who is Lord and God, whom one day they will stand before and will be cast into eternal hell as they, as they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. They were not thinking about judgment, but one day they will face him in judgment. Again, if you receive his forgiveness now, you won't have to receive his judgment and his condemnation for all eternity. And that is our prayer for you. But thirdly, I want to encourage you today to look, look into chapter 21 and examine your heart. Examine your heart. Jesus, the Bible says here in verse 1, he looked up and he saw the people giving their offerings. They had uh, these, uh, these offering uh, receptacles and, and the people would come by and they were designated for various offerings. And, uh, and, and, and people would come by uh, and give their offering. They didn't pass the plate as we do. And, uh, but they would come by and put in their offering. And some would give, as we see here, large amounts. But there was a, a widow there, a very poor. And the word here for poor means abjectly poor. She was extremely poor. In fact, Jesus saw what she gave, and it was only two little mites, worth about a fourth of a cent. Well, most people wouldn't have noticed what she gave. They would have seen the big gifts and would have been impressed. In fact, the, many of those who would give would, would uh, again, these same ones that Jesus was describing, and they did what they did. They would put in, again, large amounts for the purpose of, of attention of others. But Jesus noticed her gift. Again, because of, the, of, the, of what it revealed about her heart. And giving, dear friend, listen, giving reveals the attitude of our heart. Revealing, ex giving exposes our heart. Perhaps as uh, very few disciplines do um, in our lives. So I want you to consider three questions with me as we think about giving and, and think about examining your heart today. First of all, do you give to impress others or to worship God? Do you give to impress others or to worship God. Again, Jesus saw more than, than the amount that they gave, but again, he saw the motive for which they gave. He saw that some, some gave for the praise of men. Again, these hypocrites, and they put in these large amounts of coins, and they made a lot of noise as they, as they went into the receptacles. And, and, um, and so people were impressed that were nearby. But this widow, she didn't give to impress. In fact, she gave so little. Some would have probably been uh, w wondered why she put in such a small amount when it was, was so little. But again, it was a lot. Uh, she gave as an act of obedience, 
Love and worship to God. 2 Corinthians 9 calls uh, giving service. And it's the same word that is used to to speak of priestly service. Indicating that as we give uh, our offering, we're giving as an an act of worship. Or certainly that we should be. And and so let me ask this morning. As you think about your giving. Giving uh, regularly and, 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 and not only to the ongoing ministries of our church. In obedience to the word of God. The tithes and offerings. But also giving above that. Do you give as an act of worship? And that's the reason, that certainly should be the motive for our giving. It was for this little widow, obviously. Secondly, do you give sparingly or generously? Again, uh, notice in, in, in verse 4, uh, Jesus said, for, for all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. This little widow, this poor widow, she, uh, she didn't have much, but in a sense, Jesus is saying her gift was larger than the large gifts because it was everything that she had. She gave with generosity. Paul wrote uh, in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 about the Macedonians. Uh, He said, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And he goes on to describe giving as a cheerful, hilarious giver. I believe that morning she had no regrets when she gave all. She rejoiced for the joy that she was so grateful she had two mites to give. She gave generously. And I praise God today for generous givers and the example of generous givers in our church and in my life and encouragement. And what a blessing. Those of you who know what it is to be a generous giver, you know the joy. And you could testify to the glory of God what a joy it is to be able to give. Thirdly, do you give by reason or by faith? This little, little lady again gave all that she had. She didn't give by reason. Reason would have said, don't do it. Give one if you have to, but don't give both. My goodness, that would be everything. I'm sure her friends would have said, don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. But this woman gave again, not what she could afford to give. I believe she gave by the direction of the Lord God, trusting the Lord to take care of her. And I'm absolutely certain that he did. 2 Corinthians 8, 3, again, Paul said, For they, the Macedonians, gave, a, uh, gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Nobody had to twist their arms. Nobody, you know, had to talk them into it. There was no high pressure. They gave by, beyond their ability by the power of God, and God enabled them. It was, a, it was grace giving. And that's exactly what we had the privilege of being a part of. And again, one day, I'm looking forward to meeting this little widow and and hearing the testimony of how good God took care of her, aren't you? And how the Lord provided for her until he took her home to be with him. So I challenge you today, examine your heart. And giving is one of the most important ways you can do that. And you say, well, how do you, you know, ask these questions. But but again, do do you enjoy hearing about giving? Or do you get antsy and maybe uncomfortable and even a little angry when you hear matter of giving brought up? I challenge you to examine your heart today. Well, when we have exams, we need answers, don't we? You may remember the, the kind of the motto a lot of churches had it at one time, I remember years ago on their signs and so forth, Christ is the answer. But you know it's more than just a catchy saying. Pastor Bob Deffenbaugh said, the longer I live, 
the more I am convinced that the one solution to all of life's problems, to all of life's questions, is Christ. I do not believe that there is any question to which he is not the final and ultimate answer. Christ is not only the solution, he is the resolution of life's unanswered questions and problems. Our Lord brings together those seemingly incompatible aspects of life. He brings together a righteous God and sinful man. He reconciles the most irreconcilable of foes, enemies. He joins together humanity and deity, divine sovereignty and human responsibility. He is the great reconciler of those things which seem irreconcilable. To come to him in simple repentance and faith is to find the solution to all of life's problems. And again, dear friend, to reject him is to be separated from him for all eternity in a real place called hell. I want to challenge you in this time of examination this morning, which really every time we come to the Word of God, it should be a time of examination. First of all, again, examine your faith. What do you believe about Jesus? And what you believe about Jesus, is it biblically truthful and accurate? Acknowledge today that Jesus is fully God. He is fully human. And surrender to him in repentance and faith as, and as your Lord. Thirdly, examine your life. Why do you do what you do? Is it for the glory of God? Or is it for the approval of man? And finally, examine your heart. And I challenge you today to give willingly, generously, and by faith. First of all, as was said of the Macedonians, they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us. I challenge you today, give yourself to Him. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used His Word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, His death for you on the cross and His resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions, or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.